0: Hi, Daryl here. Before we get into this week's episode proper, I just wanted to pop up and tell you about the next Mill Members Club event happening at the International Anthony Burgess Foundation on Thursday the 18th of May, where Dave Scott, who is a broadcaster, an author, a poet, also goes by the name of Our Kid, will be in conversation with the Mill's editor Sophie about his new book, Mancunians, which is like no book about Manchester we've ever read before. The only mentions of the Hacienda are enjoyingly sceptical. And there's a generous amount of coverage of Manchester's cultural narratives which have received less attention. If you think you've read all the books there are to be read about Mancunians, you're missing this one. So Dave will be in conversation with The Mill Thursday the 18th. Plus you'll get to hear from the critically acclaimed photographer Anne Worthington, whose portraits of inner-city Mancunians in the 2000s capture a community sticking together as their institutions fell away. And a cash bar, and plenty of refreshments, and the chance to mingle with members of The Mill – and like-minded folks. Tickets sold out really quickly last time, so don't delay. There is a link in this podcast episode description for you to click through, and there are only a fiver. So we'll see you there. Okay, on with the episode.
1: Sounds corny, cheesy. It's kind of love, joy, inclusivity, celebration. I've spoken to people from all over the world here this evening. Uh, we've sung songs in different languages together, both, Like those of us that have known the uh, songs already. Where is she going to get that vibe? Eurovision 2023, enjoy Liverpool!
0: The atmosphere is reaching fever pitch with Europe and Australia descending on the northwest for the Eurovision Song Contest. It might be happening down the road in Liverpool, but the ripple of excitement and economic gain is lapping up on our shores too. This is the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Hello there. Welcome to this episode of The Manchester Weekly from the Mill uh, with me Daryl Morris and uh, in the Mill Newsroom this week Molly Simpson joins us. Hello Molly.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me back.
0: Oh, a pleasure. And I think I think I'm right. Into, is this a, is this the first time we've done a podcast together as in co, as a new co-hosted the podcast?
2: I think so. Yeah. Um Jack is busy working on a big investigation this week into the hospitality sector. And Yoshi is at a conference about investigative journalism. So yeah, I've accepted my fate. I'm I'm in the hot seat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're a lot. You're better than those two anyway. my Country mile. So don't worry about that. Don't Thanks worry about very that. Much. Um, and we've got lots to get into this week. It's going to be really interesting, actually, because uh, we'll talk in a minute about local election results, which I've been I've been sure. just I've been so fascinating. I've been I've been dying to get our teeth into uh, the 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 ins and outs and the ups and the downs. But also, you've been to a neighbouring city this week. Uh, You've been to Mm. Liverpool, haven't you, where Eurovision is taking place?
2: Yeah, I was in Eurovision Village last night, which is a lovely bit of green space on the waterfront where they've set up, the council has set up um, some big screens to watch the semi-finals, loads of independent food traders, lots of Ukrainian food and celebrations um, for like iconic Ukrainian figures. Um, Yeah, it was beautiful. So we'll hear some interviews from my night there uh, soon.
0: Very good. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also, and obviously we talked about Liverpool there on a Manchester podcast, but um, apart from the fact that, you know, we there's no rivalry here, we like Liverpool as well. <laughs> they are another northern city and uh, we stand in solidarity with them. There's also, and I think there's also a really interesting kind of conversation about the ripple effect to Manchester because we're expecting people to stay in Manchester, to be sort of commuting to Liverpool from there because prices, I imagine, to stay in Liverpool are extortionate, right?
1: Uh, mm. This week. Um, mm. So
0: I, I think there's I think there's something in this for Manchester as well as a neighbouring city. Firstly, should we start with the uh, the local election results? Um, this time last week, we were considering uh, what the picture might look like for uh, the Labour Party in Greater Manchester, for the Tories in Greater Manchester, and for some of those independent um, groups as well. And also the Lib Dems uh, who were who targeting Stockport. Uh, quite heavily. Um, let's get into it, and I think we have to start, Molly, where we so often do on this podcast, <laughs> uh, because it's such a fascinating electoral picture in Oldham. Now we've talked at length and some uh, about the politics of Oldham, and we've documented uh, plenty of times the the rough and tumble of the politics there, with um, with with the characters like Rajamiah, the influence that they have had, the independence, uh, some conspiratorial uh, thinking going on and the unseating of two uh leaders of oldham council and this week molly it became three
2: it's so funny you say that we've had so much um electoral drama in the last two years and i still felt like going into the room in oldham civic center where um staff were counting up the votes for all the council candidates and the council leader amanda chaderton I still had no conception of how dramatic these things could turn and I was watching from the press area in this like mezzanine bit as they were counting out the votes for Royton South, which is um which was Amanda's um ward and, and that's,
0: that's Amanda Chatterton, isn't it? She was the leader of Oldham Council uh, up to up to yeah. Thursday night.
2: She was, she was. And yeah, on Friday she she lost. So two other Labour councillors um got into the ward and then a Royton independent as well. Um, it was incredibly, you know, tense and um, just kind of got very, like, upsetting atmosphere in the room. Um, some local MPs were there, like Debbie, Debbie Abrahams and Jim McMahon. Angela Rayner was there. Um, I believe Andy Burnham had been on the campaign trail with Amanda Chatterton in the days preceding to try and build up a bit more support for Labour. But it didn't seem to have, have pulled off the trick and um, she lost her seat.
0: Okay, and um, we'll come on to what that means in a moment because it means mm. something incredibly interesting so fascinating. Can I can I just off first did we see Amanda Chatterton targeted by these characters these independent groups and characters like Rajamir in mm. the same way that we saw Sean Fielding and uh Ari Shah targeted in previous years?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was a highly personalized kind of campaign towards not only her as a as a politician but her as a person. Um she endured some really um, horrible abuse online. And um, when I met her for an interview a few weeks ago, she was, um, you know, she was quite resilient about it, but it, there was no doubt that it kind of taken a, a psychological toll on her, um, like it would anyone. And, um, and yeah, I think um, it, it's been particularly vicious in the last three years. And it did seem to mirror kind of for the, the same abuse that Sean Fielding and Aru Shah received when they were in the same position.
0: Right, okay. Mm. So that was that was the fit that Amanda Chaddinson uh, uh, fell to. That, mm. of course, has left an opening for the leader of Oldham Council, Molly, and mm. a, a, a key character has returned.
2: Yeah, Aruz Shah, the former council leader um, between um, 2021 and um, 2022, is back in the seats as council leader. Arusha, Shah, I think is an interesting choice because she had a particularly tough time as leader because of her association with a man called Irish Immi or Muhammad Imran Ali who was the known getaway driver for um Dale Cregan who is the gangster who assassinated a rival in a in a turf war um, and she said something along the lines of you know I can condemn what they what their actions are but I can't condemn these people as people and that was a phrase that really dogged her and it's been you know it it made her sort of feel like a sort of quite slightly more unstable figure, I think, in Oldham. Um, so to bring her back in at a time when we've now lost three council leaders, I think, um, you know, it will be a kind of litmus test for her and, and whether she can kind of survive that um, that kind of instability and whether she can kind of move on from it.
0: Okay, um, uh, okay, that's incredibly fascinating. Just 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 briefly, we're gonna we'll, we'll return to Bolton in more detail in a minute. But speaking of uh, former. Uh, Oldham Council leaders making a political return. Sean Fielding, also taken out in the last couple of years uh, along the same kind of lines, uh, he returned to Bolton.
2: He is back, yeah. Sean Fielding is back in a ward called Brightnet in Bolton. Um, He campaigned as a Labour candidate um, and his campaign was based on um, a petition that he started to save a local bus route that went down incredibly well um and yeah he's back in the seat um he's back in in Bolton council um I spoke to him on Friday and he said it felt like it was a a good time to come back um Bolton was a much calmer political atmosphere it was a much more um kind of I guess you could say people played um a lot more nicely in this uh, election fight so I think it was a much more enjoyable experience
0: yeah okay we'll, co- we'll come back to that in a, in a sec because I think because I, I fair bit, far be it for me to speculate but I think sean fielding rising star of the labor party uh somebody you know young and clearly quite ambitious and also very talented as well clearly very good at what he does uh and there's a couple of potential sl- uh, seats up for grabs uh there a couple of um a couple of openings in bolton mm. northeast and bolton west that i'd be incredibly surprised if he didn't have his eye on uh, but that is pure speculation mm. by the way i have i have no um i have no prior knowledge. he may, may deny that's the case i don't know um Interesting. well, well we'll come back to that in a second in because we're talking mm. about Bolton more fully I think the next interesting picture most interesting picture is Stockport isn't it uh, Mollie, yeah. what happened in Stockport
2: absolutely um, the Conservatives had an awful night in Stockport um, they pretty much disappeared from the map altogether um, I know the group were always going to expect it to be very tough but they lost their four remaining council seats which meant that the Lib Dems retained minority control of the council just shy of major- majority and um, this is the first time that the Tories have had no representation on the council since 1973. So it's a huge shock for them. Um, I, in terms of like the reasons for this, I think a lot of it will have to do with the kind of national picture and how unpopular the Tories are generally at the moment. But also I think um, there's been a lot more popularity for kind of hyper-local parties springing up. So particularly in Stockport, you've got the Edgeley Community Association, which took all three seats in Edgeley Ward. Um, they've become very popular because of their kind of um, centre-left position. Um, they're a little more kind of focused on local issues. They're a little more sort of folksy. Um, so I, I think yeah, a combination of, of those factors has meant that it's, it was a bad day for the Tories in Stockport.
0: Right. Okay. Um, and I think I think perhaps the the um mention of independent parties probably takes us to bolton next doesn't mm. it molly I, I said on this podcast last week that the the, the, the election in bolton you know really wasn't uh, labor versus the tories it was labor versus the independents mm. and in terms of the labor party not being able to uh, you know becoming the largest party which is quite significant the tories retreating quite heavily mm. uh, in bolton but them not being able to take control of the council uh, probably came down to those independents
2: yeah, definitely. It wasn't a um straight fight at all between Labour and the Tories. It was um very much between Labour and um these kind of um these these like, hyperlocal independent parties. Um I think the the Conservatives have really struggled to kind of break into those areas and and like, you know, convince the electorate that that they have their interests in mind and, and that these independent parties don't. So um that's been
0: particularly tough for the Tories as well. Mm. I think it's very interesting that because last time round uh, the, it, it sort of did the Tories a real big favour because the, these independent, lo- these lo- hyper independent parties were taking seats off Labour uh, in places where the Tories, you know, found it quite hard to win. Mm. And therefore, that left the Tories as the largest party and they were able to form coalitions with these independent parties who were generally right of centre. You know, most of them were quite, quite sort of, particularly the Horwich First and Farnworth First and. Um, Blackrod first, or Horwich and Blackrod first? Actually, is a, is a party? Um, I'm not quite sure how you put both Horridge and Blackrod first. <laughs> but there you go. That's the last one for them to figure out. Um, but they, uh, they they ultimately they propped up the Tories and they, they, they went into coalition with the Tories and, and and they were able to govern and they were able to lead the council. Um, that has now obviously been turned on its head. Labour, are the largest party, to be fascinating mm. to see who Labour can find. You know, the Lib Dems are in the mix as well, of course. There to, to do to do work with. Um, in order for Nick Peel to be uh, to become the council leader and for Labour to take control of that council and, and that is, I think there's meetings and such being had literally this week Yeah, um, and yeah. That, way, that, that is to be seen I think isn't it?
2: Yeah we're still awaiting the outcome of that but um, Labour um, from what we hear are in talks about trying to form a majority administration on the on the council yeah
0: and do what Sean Fielding. I will just return to my point. I, I'm I'm fascinated by him as a character because, and I know he's done some writing for the mill, hasn't he? He's written mm. a piece about his experience in Oldham and various other bits and bobs. Uh, he is an interesting, uh, interesting character in local politics, and I do think that Bolton North East and Bolton West are still looking for Labour parliamentary candidates. I think Sean finding himself in Bolton. Uh, I, I, far be it from me to to suggest what his, what his plan <laughs> is. I don't know the guy at all. I don't know the guy at all. But uh, I don't know. M- maybe, uh, you, I don't know, smart money maybe on him uh, throwing his hat in the ring, perhaps. I think that's one to things. watch, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, um, uh, interesting. More analysis as well from last Thursday night's election results in... Uh, the mill you can get that direct to your inbox by subscribing manchestermill.co.uk and if you go there right now you can read the mill's full recap and analysis of including some other bits and bobs from uh, other parts of greater manchester that we haven't quite got around to as well uh, right now manchestermill.co.uk uh, in the meantime uh, that was last week let's look forward to this weekend's molly and the eurovision song contest taking yeah. place in a, a neighboring mancunian city And we're not tribal here on the road. We like to talk about (laughs) Liverpool as well. Um, And you went.
2: I was there. I was there. Um, It was honestly, it was a wonderful atmosphere. Um, It felt like, you know, it felt like um, I couldn't not, you know, it's just down the road. It's a 40 minute train. And um, within a few minutes, I was out of Lime Street and I was onto the waterfront, um, surrounded by people, all sort of gazing up at this big screen above them, um, like it was a kind of orb. And, Yeah, it it was a brilliant atmosphere and it seems like it's been a huge point of pride for Liverpool. Like to put it into a context, it's a city that's had a really challenging time over the last few years, like a damning government inspection into best value at the council and losing councillors left, right and centre. And um, a mayor kind of arrested and um, and probed for... for, you know um, various investigations in, into the council's use of, of money and um, you know it seems like a massive point of civic and local pride that they're getting this massive international event right on their doorstep and drawing in so many tourists and so many people are, are looking to Liverpool to see how they're they're rising to the challenge so um, yeah definitely a, a big moment for the city and, and like you said, said earlier like a, a big moment for the northwest I think Um, A lot of people I spoke to were saying, yeah, I'm I'm staying in an Airbnb in Manchester, I've commuted over from Manchester, so um, I think, yeah, we'll we'll start to see the Eurovision benefit um, seeping out over here as well.
0: OK, let's hear what, what happened, Molly, when you uh, you went along to Liverpool uh, to meet some Eurovision super fans as well.
2: I'm here in Liverpool. It's golden hour and it is the beginning of the Eurovision semi-finals. Everyone's drinking, eating street food. It's a really lovely atmosphere and we're looking forward to seeing who's going to get into the final, which is being hosted this weekend. And... Can you introduce yourselves? What are your names?
1: Yes, we're Nadav, Ofer and Olev. From Israel.
2: (laughs) Lovely to meet you. You've come all the way from Israel to Liverpool. Yes, yes, long way today. Wow, you must be big Eurovision fans. Yes, Yes, very much.
1: And who are you rooting for
2: this year? Who's your favourite to win?
1: Uh, Sweden, Finland and Israel. (laughs) A lot
2: of people are saying Sweden.
1: Yes, yes, Sweden is
0: going to win, I think so. Yes. why Sweden? Like what?
1: Because the Lorraine is, is is iconic singer, the iconic. and the, and the song is very good. Um, I'm Liz. I watch every single
2: year. I'm lit obsessed with it. So <laughs> my second Christmas. <laughs> and who are you rooting for this year? I said, definitely Sweden and Norway to win. Yeah, they they're two of my favourites. And what, how did you react when you found out that Liverpool was hosting Eurovision? I was absolutely over the moon, Like, and I've always wanted to go to Eurovision for this time I'm coming, so to be able to go and home, so it's been absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's a special place, you know, it's the heart of music, you've got the Beatles who come from here, music runs through the veins of the city, so I think that's why it was really chosen.
1: My name's Gareth.
2: And as a big Eurovision fan, how do you think Liverpool's coped with hosting such a massive international event?
1: I think it's been amazing. And we were lost today, we had no idea where the, where, where we were going yeah. and so many people offered to give us directions and yeah. it's just been really amazing. I didn't expect it to be honest, yeah. um, but the people have been really friendly and really, really good. Nice.
2: And if someone was like a bit on the fence about Eurovision or didn't understand like why it's so popular, like what would you say, what would your kind of sell be, like why it's so good?
1: just give it a go because it's so unique nothing is the same you know everyone does their own thing and it's a way to learn about new music and new artists and experience different cultures my name's Tim Prevett
2: lovely to meet you where are you from
1: I'm from just the other side of Warrington a little town called Cultures I'm, I have a Light-up trainers. <laughs> <laughs> I was wanting to do a Vehicle Sadushka outfit, the Ukrainian run-up from 2007. I couldn't do it exactly, so I thought, I don't need walking around in stilettos. So what's going to look glam? What's going to look Eurovision? So I thought, some trainers that light up and found some at a decent price on the web. I've seen people criticise Eurovision. It's cheap, and it isn't. There's a real effort goes into it. The uh, investment of time, of money, of understanding that the acts represent countries of the love. Uh, people being authentic to who they are, whether it's the act or the song or the community around Eurovision. It's, it's just sort of kind of, sounds corny, cheesy, it's kind of love, joy, inclusivity, celebration. I've spoken to people from all over the world here this evening. Uh, we've sung songs in different languages together, for those like of us that have known the uh, songs already. Where is she going to get that vibe? Eurovision 2023, enjoy
0: Liverpool! Uh, that is Molly in Liverpool this week uh, for the Eurovision Song Contest. Saturday night is the big night, of course, so there's loads going on, isn't there, all week. Do you know what's been, re- been really interesting, Molly, is kind of like listening listening to the build-up to Saturday and mm. um, the semi-finals taking place and, you know, all the sort of you know bits and bobs. And 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 Radio Two in particular, a little bit of Radio One, you know, people like us talking about it. You just, I I was obviously championing Manchester, and we talked about when 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 it became clear that it was going to come to to the UK. We were sort of you know perhaps perhaps campaigning a little bit for for, for it to be Manchester, and I don't know Manchester Council did as well. <laughs> but just he, just hearing hearing it come from Liverpool, you suddenly sort of go, yeah. Do you know what? This is right, isn't it? This is so right with its musical heritage, and. The way that it sort of risks slightly falling down the gap of Manchester, London, you know, mm. that sort of thing. Mm. It just feels totally right that it should be in Liverpool.
2: Definitely. Um, I lived in Liverpool for about six months last year. I was working on our sister newspaper, The Post, and it just has a great party scene. Um, it's a really vibrant, energetic city, very multicultural. It's like a, a big melting pot. So it does feel like the ideal location for, for Eurovision. And um, yeah, I think people have, have responded really well to it because it, it's really fun. It's a really fun event. I don't know um, if you yourself are a Eurovision um, regular viewer, Daryl, but um, it's <laughs> just an incredibly fun um, event in the calendar.
0: I mean, I, I mean, I will watch it on Saturday night, undoubtedly. I think that there is that it's different. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know if this has happened sort of recently or whether I've just become a bit more aware of it recently. But it's it's become such a massive institution, or it is such a massive institution, mm. and it has and and, the, and people's dedication to it is absolutely is hardcore, isn't it? Like you know, it's not it's not something that happens in passing for quite a lot of people. They live their life by it.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely feels like fans are divided on quite extreme uh, lines. Like maybe people like you and me who like will watch it, but we're not, you know, um, we, we can't name the, the Ukrainian runners up from um,
1: 2007.
2: Any- yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> And then people who are, you know, like people I met who are, you know, I'm, I'm dressed in the costume that, um, that the winner won, you know, from Poland won. And I, I've curated yeah. my outfit based on this one song and I've drawn in influences from Serbia and Montenegro. It's. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. But that's yeah. brilliant. I think that's great. Oh, it's, it's great. lovely. And, yeah. and as you say, Manchester's got a really going to benefit from it as well. You we know, we're going to see some mm-hmm. economic uh, economic uh, ripple, right? I imagine. Yeah,
2: fingers crossed. Yeah, I've, I feel like a bit stupid because I'm going away this weekend. I was like, I should have Airbnb'd my flat because yeah. I could <laughs> have made some money from it. But yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people um, are probably, yeah, doing quite well out of having spare rooms. I imagine the, the taxis are full and the hotels are full. Um, yeah, it's probably it's probably going to be a busy one in Manchester this weekend.
0: Absolutely. Okay, enjoy it if you're getting uh, if you're getting knee-deep in Eurovision. Uh, it should be a good weekend. Um, speaking of um, property, Molly, and mm. of, um, of, of you having a flat and, and, and of uh, the, the conditions in which people live in our great city, this has been another issue that we've been talking about quite a bit lately, uh, hasn't it? After the incident in Rochdale, with Rochdale mm. Social Housing, um, and the young boy, the three-year-old boy, who died because of mould in his flat. Mm. Uh, we, we've got some news this week about private sector properties in Greater Manchester requiring some uh, a new landlord's licence. Is that right? Take us into this story. What do we know?
2: Yeah, so Manchester City Council have introduced a new uh, licensing scheme for 700 private sector properties in central Manchester. So the areas they've chosen are Levenshulme, Longside, Rushhome, Mosside and Wally Range. Um, so all the landlords of these properties um, are going to be contacted by the council and, and told that they, they need to apply for a licence for the property. Um, they kind of intention of the scheme is so that um the council is targeting areas where there's more poor quality housing or poorer management standards, um, or if an area is experiencing more persistent problems in sort of antisocial behaviour or high levels of, of deprivation or, or crime. Um so it's a way of kind of holding private landlords to account a bit more for for how they house their tenants. Um, which I think is really interesting. Um, the council's executive for housing said, you know, it's important we're going to tackle these landlords who seem willing to put their tenants' safety at risk. It seems to hint at kind of what the council is maybe seeing or observing a kind of trend of, um, of, of maybe poorer quality homes in, in, in these kind of areas. So, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting story
0: just a bit yeah and how does that link us to to uh what happened in in rochdale because mm. i suppose i suppose that's the next big question isn't it is mm. is, is, is does something similar happen in social housing
2: yeah i guess because um the, like i said like yeah these are like um these are licensing requirements for, for private landlords and they they the council can introduce um penalties and stuff but Um, various like penalty notices if landlords don't meet the requirements of, of the of the licensing and don't you know promise to improve the standards of their home and the kind of health and safety conditions but it would be interesting to know if there are, you know, sim- similar penalties in place for social housing providers, like the ones with um, Rochdale Boroughwide Housing, who, you know, were found to, to um, well, the, the three-year-old who died in Rochdale, Awabi Shack, that was because of mould in, in his flat. So I wonder if there will be similar penalties introduced on a kind of social housing scale as well, because mm-hmm. as we've seen, there there can be problems within within social housing as well, equally, mm-hmm. you know, or, or even worse
0: indeed okay one to watch uh for sure that and let's just wrap up this week molly with some news about the big issue north uh, mm-hmm. because one of our favorite uh magazine of of the mill um i know you guys you know yoshi gets it yoshi, yoshi often talks about picking it up uh every week on his way around you know if i'm if i see a seller or i'm in I'm in, in in manchester i'll do the same as well not just for the cause but for the journalism as well because it's a mm-hmm. brilliant piece of work mm-hmm. and some sad news about it this week
2: yeah it's really sad so big issue north um they are closing after 30 just over 30 years of of trading um they cited a fall in town center footfall after the pandemic um as a factor in why their, their sales have been been declining sadly um so they've now closed um really really sad news i think for for regional journalism, but but for also the of course the staff and the editor Kevin Gopal and everyone who worked there, um, they've produced some really incredible journalism um, from from their ranks, and I think, yeah, the the journalism world is definitely going to be a, a lot less richer without them.
0: Mm, Yeah, for sure it is. Uh, We Mm. will absolutely, uh, desperately, desperately miss uh, the the big issue North in in every possible way. It's journalism, uh, it's cause and it's contribution to northern investigative journalism Mm. as well. Um, Okay, Um, uh, All right. Thank you for being with us this week. Um, uh, We've got a couple of nods in a minute. We'll take you through some stuff to do in and around Greater Manchester. Um, Firstly, Molly, what are you working on uh, in in the Mill Newsroom at the moment? What's going on?
2: what are we working on um jack is working on an investigation into the hospitality sector um regular readers will remember he has written some excellent stories into sort of freight island um simon martin the first starred chef in manchester who ran the restaurant manor in ancoats um and um mark garner the the founder of manchester confidentials the sort of Editorial and newspaper who who write about the hospitality industry. Um, mm. So this time he's taking a look at um, people have experiences not being paid, which seems to be a big problem in hospitality. It's a bit more of a casual industry. People tend to be employed on zero hour contracts or paid cash in hand, um, and there doesn't seem to have been much um, kind of accountability for the bosses in hospitality for for the way they pay their workers and the way they treat their workers. So I think this is going to be a um, a big story in the in. In the kind of the city's reckoning with um with how it, it, it treats its workers with hospitality makes up such a huge part of manchester so um yeah that's out next saturday that's um, going to be a really
0: interesting one sounds great okay manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe to get all that brilliant journalism in your inbox before we go molly every week we like to give a bit of a nod for something to do around greater manchester in the next couple of days uh what's on your radar
2: so on thursday evening there's a performance from manchester collective at the white hotel um I don't know if you've, you've seen them before Daryl. they're a, no. like a, they're really good. They're like a contemporary uh. classical orchestra, quite avant-garde, um, very different, very quite like visual in style as well. And um, they're going to be performing, um, a new series of performances called Rosewood, which is featuring some new works, um, some kind of like interesting classical interpretations of folk and electronic music, um, a lot of like blends of different, different genres. Um, I yeah I've really liked what they've done in the past, so i I'd definitely be going to that if i were if I were here this week <laughs>
0: far excellent, okay, good yeah. stuff um uh, Manchester Collective really worth checking out. Uh, my nod for the week ahead is uh, Professor Tony Redmond, who is a uh, former guest on this podcast. We spoke to him um, at the outbreak. ...of the war in Ukraine because he is known as a disaster doctor. Uh, he founded a company called UK Med, which is a, an NGO, a non-government organisation... ...who provide emergency medical assistance around the world. He's got an incredible stack of stories to tell from uh, from from helping... You know, ...sort of setting up medical emergency in war zones, to natural disasters... ...to the Lockerbie bombing as well. Uh, and most recently, of course, his teams have been working to help the injured in Ukraine... Uh, on Tuesday, he's going to be at the University of Manchester to tell some of those stories about what he, what is actually, I think, his final humanitarian mission because he's just recently uh, mm-hmm. retired. Mm-hmm. um So he's going to he's going to give some insight into his final humanitarian mission and the humanitarian mission around the war in Ukraine. That's free to attend on Tuesday. There's a drinks reception afterwards where you can stay and have a chat. And I would hi- highly recommend that, not just because Tony Redmond is my favourite guest that we've had on the podcast. I've also had him on my show, my radio show, a few times as oh, well. Really. Um, yeah, and, uh, and not just because he's my favourite guest, not just because he's my favourite disaster doctor, but because he is one of my favourite people in the world. I think he's absolutely <laughs> incredible. Yeah. And he is he's wonderful, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's incredibly intelligent, um, and he's wonderful, wonderful company to keep as well. So mm. um, I would highly recommend you go and spend some time in the company of Tony Redmond Tuesday at the University of Manchester. Um, okay, uh, you get more quality journalism and nods like that into your inbox every week by subscribing at the Manche- at manchestermill.co.uk um, for now though Molly thank you
2: thank you very much for having me it's been lovely <laughs>